Our scripture reading this morning is from Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Persia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Now skipping down to verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true, and it's given to us in love. Thank you, Cynthia. As I've read in the bulletin, we're nearly at a three-year anniversary, and David asked me to speak a few weeks ago, and then he began a new series uh, in the book of Ruth. And I was sat out in the congregation, and I was listening to what he was saying, and he said something that really caught my attention. He said, the book of Ruth tells us how God transforms chaos through the generosity of his people. I thought, wow, he's, ab he's absolutely right. And you go, what do you mean chaos? Well, the chaos, as you remember a couple of weeks ago, we started the book and the chaos there was three deaths, wasn't it? That's chaos in the world. All kinds of suffering takes place in our lives, not only in ours, but in other people's. And Naomi had Three deaths. Her husband died, her two sons died, and left her with two daughters-in-law. And they were in a far-off land in Moab, next door to Israel. One daughter-in-law went home. The other came with Naomi and said, 
Your people shall be my people. Your God shall be my God. And when they came back to the land of Israel, they were given much generosity in their suffering. They were able to eat. Ruth was able to find a kinsman redeemer, which was the traditional practice of that day. Someone from the family of your mother-in-law was to marry you so that you wouldn't stay in poverty. As I was listening to all of this, as we come now to nearly three years of being a church plant, as we've come to this place, this chapel to be at the City Rescue Mission, to be a church plant in this area, I think many of us, I don't know about you, but I'm tired. I just turned 55 this year. In the last few months, I'm really beginning to feel it, what it means to be a little bit older. First running injury in my life, back of my heel, I went running a couple of months ago, and I haven't been running since, and I've always been able to run. You begin to feel the aches and pains, but above all, just the physical tiredness. Many of you know that I'm a counselor, I work, I work two jobs just to make ends meet, during the day, then at evening, I have either one or two clients at night. You pour a lot out. And on top of that, for the last three years, many of us have had multiple hats here in a church plant. Missions committee, getting, doing setup. Maybe you do Sunday school. There's all kinds of work to do in a church plant. Is that, is there not? And it's easy to get to a place where you go, Wow. How are we going to do this? How are we going to move forward? What are we going to do? How are we going to get the energy to do that? How do we do this church plant? How do we reach this community and show it the generosity and love of the Lord Jesus? How are we to live our lives? These are some of the questions that have been on my heart as I've been listening to David, and I'm sure on David's heart nearly all the time as he is the pastor here. Can we fulfill what God has asked us to be and do? One of the simplest analogies that I can think of from my family life is that Nathaniel is driving now. And he doesn't have to drive far. He drives my big old truck. He's got a six-liter engine in it. And he has to usually go on a journey every day that is over the heart bridge down out to, to the Episcopal High School. It's not very far, two and a half miles. But with it being such a big truck, he knows how to get there. He's got a vision, a destination. He's got the vehicle to get there. But guess what he often doesn't have? Don't all shout at once. Gas. <laughs> Fuel. And for a young teenager, can be very costly. So he's usually always looking around for fuel. And isn't that the same with us? Just like I said at the beginning of our service today, we're looking for that power, that induction stroke, that, sorry, that ignition stroke, that power that comes from having life. And part of turning to the Lord on a Sunday is to be able to turn to him for new life, for empowerment, not only for our individual lives, but for our family life, for our church life, for our work life. Because all of these areas of life, all of these relationships draw power from them, from us, don't they? 
last night on Facebook, I put out that I was going to be preaching this morning, and someone said, oh, I wish I could go. That's, that's going to be amazing. And I said, well, I don't know about amazing. All I know is, is that I need the Lord. And church has become that day. Meeting together with all of you has become that day that has become a refreshing day for my spiritual health, my emotional health, and my psychological health. And how do we do that? I want to share with you something from David Watson. David Watson was a charismatic leader in the Anglican Church from York. York, if you go from London, you go to Birmingham, then go further north to Manchester, where I'm from, and then to the northeast is the largest county in England, and you'll find there York, obviously Yorkshire. And in York, about 40 years ago, there was a man called David Watson. And when he went to his church, there was about six or seven people there. By the time he died, about 20 years later, there was hundreds the church was steeped in Anglican tradition, and one of the things he said was what it needed, above all things, was new life. Listen to what he says in this book. It's called One in the Spirit. In recent years, the most lively debate within the church has centered around the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Many are testifying to spiritual renewal in their lives. Others are complaining of dissensions and divisions in their churches. Theological controversy rages around the gifts of the Spirit and the baptism of the Spirit. The amazing development of the charismatic movement has thrilled some, angered others, and puzzled still more. At least there is a general agreement that a rediscovery of the life and power of the Spirit is one of the greatest needs of our day. Indeed, Dr. Carl Bates once made the remark that if God were to take the Holy Spirit out of our midst today, about 95% of what we are doing in our churches would go on, and we would not know the difference. For many years, the Holy Spirit has been the displaced person of the Trinity. He goes on to say, Yet undoubtedly the Spirit of God was the key to everything in the New Testament church. The fifth book of the New Testament should really be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. If God had taken the Holy Spirit out of their midst in those days, about 95% of what they were doing in their churches would have ceased immediately. And everyone would have known the difference. It's a powerful statement, is it not? Now, please hear me. This is not a criticism of our church, of our pastor, of our leadership, or anything here. But just, I think, a time when we're transitioning from being over in a hotel somewhere on another part of Jacksonville to being in this community and beginning to see that God has called us to this community. And how are we going to move on from here? How are we going to have the resources and the energy to be able to do that and simply to say, we need God's Holy Spirit. I know I need the Spirit. And in this passage, we are reminded that without the Holy Spirit, we have nothing. We have no power. We have no ability. 
No ability to repent, no ability to see the Lord and what he means, what he has done. We won't have any courage. We won't be able to meet with one another and have fellowship. That really is meaningful. Let me just show you. Let me look first of all at what is unrepeatable about this. Many have said before me that the book of Acts is descriptive and not prescriptive. I want to look at very briefly four things this morning, the unrepeatable nature of what takes place here. But then look at the very personal, subjective experience of the Holy Spirit that takes place here. The need for spirit-empowered reconciliation as we look at all the nations coming and then receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit themselves, being convicted of their sin, of what they've done to the Lord Jesus in the days preceding. And then the need for spirit-empowered resilience and courage. The unrepeatable nature. This passage comes at the end of what we call the special revelation of Jesus Christ. That's unrepeatable, is it not? The very presence of the Lord Jesus. He comes and we celebrate Christmas. That's the incarnation. God with us, Emmanuel. He comes to be with us. He, he grows and he lives without sin, without blemish, without fault. Then he goes to the cross and then he rises from the dead. Then he speaks to his people and tells them, wait in Jerusalem and I will come to you. I will send the promise of the Holy Spirit to you. And this is the fulfillment of that promise. It's almost like the book end of everything that Jesus did and accomplished in his mission on earth. And then when the Holy Spirit comes and empowers his people, suddenly there is this new life and this explosion of life. If you read the section that I didn't have read by Cynthia this morning, you see that Peter stands up, and by the time he is finished explaining the gospel, explaining this phenomena, over 3,000 people are added to the Lord that day. Can you imagine them in a church like that? Boom! Which is another odd thought, isn't it? We often think that the Holy Spirit comes and resolves our problems. Actually, the Holy Spirit will come along and actually give you new ones that you'd never thought of before. There isn't a simple equation of the gospel comes and solves people's problems. No, the gospel comes along and gives people new problems, new people to love, ornery people that you wouldn't ever imagine that you would be sat next to. But that's a work of the Holy Spirit. Now back to the unrepeatable nature. Maybe if we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we'll never hear. I think it's unrepeatable. May a mighty wind, that could happen but I don't think it's necessarily a repeatable event. We might not sing tongues of fire over our heads. You might not speak in tongues. This isn't a sermon about the charismatic gifts. We won't be hearing all these actual languages, real languages of all these different countries that were from all around Jerusalem and Judea and Israel as they had come to worship the Lord on the day of Pentecost. Unrepeatable events for that time, that place. But what is repeatable? 
What is the essence? As the Lord has given us this passage, as we come to our three-year anniversary, as we look ahead, I think the repeatable event is this. A need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It says here, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them, and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. There is a need here, isn't there? David, myself, others in leadership, they're not the only ones that are to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but the whole congregation. All of us can have an intimate experience of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because of the work of the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus, when we have been justified by faith, declared not guilty by our Heavenly Father, the Holy Spirit can come and take up residence. But he takes up residence. But we sin, do we not? We lose fellowship. And we can come into a church service, or if we've blown it with our families or with our spouses or with anybody within the church, we can come in and we can lose a sense of that forgiveness, lose a sense that the Lord really loves us. And I believe that what happens here is the Holy Spirit fell on all the church. He empowered them to have a renewed sense of the love of the Father. Look at what was happening as they heard the disciples and all the believers filled with the Holy Spirit. It says, and we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Are you able to tell of the mighty works of God? Are you repenting? What was the last thing anybody in your family knows that you repented of? What was the last thing that your spouse knows that you repented of? Have you ever done anything recently that shows either yourself, that you love God and that you're responding to Him? And if that isn't happening in your life and you're sensing a, a kind of a, a tiredness, then let me invite you to come and say, Lord, this morning, right here in this seat, Lord, I need you. I need you to renew me. I need you to give me that ignition stroke of that four-stroke engine and ignite my life again with love for you, love for the lost, love for those who are so different from me that I struggle with loving. There is here, isn't there, new life. And I believe that's what we need. If we're going to be a generous community, we need new life. And new life comes from the Holy Spirit and it is to come on each one of us as a congregation. Can you imagine David leading us from week in, week out? I've been a pastor, led a church for about seven years and there were some mornings that I came in and it felt like I was trying to move a lead brick. Trying to say, come on. And it felt like sometimes my words just fell off. 
from the pulpit. Can you imagine if all of us were seeking the Lord? All of us were looking for a renewal in our lives. All of us saying, Lord, what are you going to do with me? How are you going to use me in the church, at work, everywhere I go? Lord, do I bleed your gospel? Do I give grace? Is that your life? Filled with new life. The next thing, look at this. It says, a need for spirit-empowered reconciliation. Look at all these different nations. They were coming to see what the Lord had done in Israel. The command was to come to Jerusalem and to go up to Jerusalem and go worship and present your gifts and your offerings. All these different nations were there. Look at the different ones. Parthians, Medes. Luke starts as he's looking. If you could, he probably didn't have a map, but if you could look at a map, he starts from the east and starts to move to the west. And he starts to talk about all these different nations. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia? Isn't it great to say that? I love saying that. Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome. So he's gone right across the Roman Empire, the Persian Empire as it was, and landed in Rome. All the nations at that time that he could think of, all of them were coming to Jerusalem. And at this moment, the Holy Spirit breaks out amongst them. There's a great revival takes place as people are transitioning from the Old Testament revelation to now the New Testament revelation of Jesus Christ. That through Jesus is the only way to be saved. And all of these people hear it. Peter stands up, preaches the gospel, and look what happens. What are the results of the preaching of the gospel, of the ministry of the Holy Spirit? I'm not going to go and drill down deep here, but just to go through it quickly. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Look what happens when the Holy Spirit, people from all different nations and languages and tongues, different cultures, here in Jacksonville. We are preparing to be a church that will take on an African-American pastor. How will that suit you? Will you be able to listen to him if he preaches maybe in a different style, a different way in which you're used to? How are you going to handle that? It's going to have to be the work of the Holy Spirit. Am I talking to myself here? I'm anticipating things. We all have different cultures. I was taught as a counselor that even if you come into someone who's from the same class in America, middle to upper middle class, they are still a world unto themselves. Unless they tell you what's going on in their lives, you'll never know. So how easy it would be for us to not know one another. There was a melting by the power of the Holy Spirit. There was a reconciliation 
that was going on here. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. You see that? Glad and generous hearts. Praising God and having favor with all the people. In First Peter, Peter writing to the diaspora, that is the spread out people of God, the Jewish people of God, those who had converted to Christianity, he says to them, for you have a joy unspeakable and full of glory. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. A need or personal experience of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit then empowers a reconciliation, an ability to overlook people's faults, an ability to actually even try, listen to what they did. They actually spoke in their languages. The church has to have this missionary ability to actually get inside other people's culture and speak to them of the mighty works of God from within their own culture so that they can get it. You understand that? We're not to just stay within our own culture, our own framework, but understand how is it that I can reach somebody else for God's glory and not necessarily having to hang on to my own culture. Have you ever been into a church where you can tell that they're really, really proud of the way that they do things? Hmm? You know, those to be able to get to Jesus, you've got to be able to get through all the elements, all the obstacles of their own culture before Jesus actually makes sense. Our part is to really help people to grasp Jesus readily by being aware of our own cultural predispositions and choices. And then lastly, the need for spirit-empowered resilience and courage. When you get filled with the Holy Spirit, things will change within your home, within your personal life, with other people. Not everybody rejoices with you. I can remember the first time I was filled with the Holy Spirit. And my family thought I was a crackpot. Do you say that over here? Is that very British? Still pray today for my elder brothers and sisters. There was a rejection. And we see that in here. What does this mean, the crowd said. But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. A personal experience of the Holy Spirit. A softening of our hearts towards other people. What else does the Holy Spirit do? It gives us courage. To preach the gospel. You can preach it on a Sunday. You can gossip it on Monday morning with your friend. You can have a word in season, out of season. But the Lord will give you courage and you won't be worried about whether you're going to be laughed at or not. Because you have this hope. Peter says, always be ready to give an answer Apologia in Greek, to give an answer for the hope that is within you. I had a young man stop me in just two weeks ago 
He's in the prison. I was walking along the corridor to go to the counseling room with another inmate, and all of a sudden, this other, I'd never met him before. But I had to go through the waiting room. There's a big waiting room to go through that to get to, to my office. And I often come in there and say hello to a lot of the inmates. And this inmate stopped me. He goes, Mr. Jones. I said, yes. He said, can I have a word? I said, oh, sure. He goes, I just wanted to let you know, I've heard you. What? Said, what do you mean? I've heard you. He goes, I heard the way you talk to us. I went, wow. I said, that's really sweet. Thank you. I shook his hand. I'm used to working next door. You can't shake inmates' hands next door. Right? You'll get in all kinds of trouble. But at this new prison I'm at, FSP West, it's a little easier. I was able to shake his hand and say, thank you so much. But do you know why I'm able to speak to you in that way with such dignity and honor and respect? It's because I know of what the Lord has done for me. That without the work of the Lord in my own life, that's what motivates me. Without God's work in my life, I would be completely lost. And without hope in this world, without the power of the Holy Spirit in my life, I would have nothing. Total inability. Isn't that what we believe as Calvinists? Total depravity. A total inability to move towards the Lord. And I thanked him and went on my way. Years ago, that would have gone to my head. <laughs> but you know, as you get older, as you've seen more of your sin and experienced more of God's grace, you go, wow, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for what you're doing in my life. Thank you for repentance. Because I know that without you, it would be impossible. Spirit gives you the ability to speak up, to live for the Lord in all kinds of places, in all kinds of situations, and gives you resilience. I want to close with Luke. Luke chapter 11. As you're listening to this, Maybe the Lord is pricking your heart. Let me give you confidence as you meet with him in private. That he will give you personal experience of the Holy Spirit. Listen to this. This is a section of Jesus teaching on prayer. He says this. I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Luke chapter 11, verses 9. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, now listen to Jesus, here's what he thinks of you. If you then, being evil, not nice, but Jesus says this. If you then, he's going from the lesser to the greater. If you then, being evil, 
know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? I'm not up here this morning speaking about a second baptism, a first baptism, this, that. I'm not up here about charismatic gifts. I'm up here to say that we just need the Lord. We need often the forgotten third person of the Trinity. And we want to honor him this morning. Amen? Amen. Honor him. Close your eyes with me. When I was a young man, just keep your eyes closed. I grew up in the Anglican church, the Anglican tradition. And when the Lord grabbed a hold of me, there was a song that we used to sing all the time. I never understood it. But it's a prayer to him. It comes from the 14th century. Come down, O love divine. Seek thou this soul of mine and visit it with thine own ardor glowing. O comforter, draw near. Within my heart appear and kindle it, thy holy flame bestowing. O let it freely burn till earthly passions turn to dust and ashes in its heat consuming. And let thy glorious light shine ever on my sight and clothe me round the while my path illuming. Let holy charity mine outward vesture be and lowliness become mine inner clothing. True lowliness of heart, which takes the humbler part and over its own shortcomings weeps with loathing. And so the yearning strong, with which the soul will long, shall far outpass the power of human telling. For none can guess its grace till he become the place wherein the Holy Spirit makes his dwelling. May your life, my life, and the life of this congregation as the body of Christ be the place where the Holy Spirit makes his dwelling. Amen.